0: And welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noel Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about Frank Capra, the Christmas Catholic Hollywood man who wrote, produced, and directed some of the most important and most deeply Catholic films of Hollywood's golden era. When most people hear Frank Capra's name, the first thing they think of is his 1946 film, It's a Wonderful Life. But he was responsible for so many other films, films that received more critical acclaim than It's a Wonderful Life.
1: Yes, he'd actually been nominated for six Oscars before directing It's a Wonderful Life. He'd won Best Director for It Happened One Night, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, and You Can't Take It With You, and was also nominated for Lady for a Day, Lost Horizon, and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And then he was nominated for Best Director for It's a Wonderful Life, but did not win.
0: There's a theme that runs through Capra's movies, and critics of his movie making, particularly in the 1960s and 70s, called his movies Capricorn, considering them to be too light and fluffy and too much wishful thinking to be worth anything. But that assessment really says more about the critics than about Capra's films.
1: Yes, Capra's films had a vision of life that was actually very Catholic, very sacrificial, without having any explicit religious themes or symbolism. They were just good men and women living their lives.
0: McCapra wasn't a lifelong practicing, church-going Catholic. What's his background?
1: Right. In his 20s and 30s, Capra called himself a Christmas Catholic. Frank Capra was born in Sicily on May 18, 1897. He was the youngest of seven surviving children. His parents emigrated in 1903, coming through Ellis Island when Frank was just six years old. They settled in Los Angeles, where his father was a fruit picker, and his mother raised him and his six surviving siblings. His parents were devoted Catholics, and the kids all got a foundation in the faith, even if, like Frank, they didn't adhere to it throughout their lives.
0: But something we talked about with Babe Ruth in episode 16 seems to have been true of Capra also. Ruth talked about having a solid little chapel inside. He said that though kids may rebel, they get the faith where it counts, down in the roots, and it stays with them and never fails. That same thing seems to have been the case with Capra.
1: Right. There were some interesting things that happened in the life of Capra that we're not going to get into, but you're right. The solid little chapel definitely seems to have been there. So he worked his way through college, and he earned a degree in chemical engineering.
0: Chemical engineering? Not exactly a theater degree to a career as a Hollywood director.
1: No, not typical, but with where movies were headed, it was fortunate for him. But more on that in a moment. So with a chemical engineering degree in hand, he got a job in the 1920s as a writer for Hal Roach and his Our Gang series. Then he moved on to work with silent film comic star Harry Langdon. The character he helped Langdon develop showed the first signs of what would be this very Catholic thread, a simple but fundamentally good person whose only ally is God, in a world where bad things happen, and thus he has to rely on God for all good things. He signed on with Columbia Pictures at the end of the 1920s. Columbia wasn't a frontline production company just yet, but this is where his engineering degree came in handy. With the shift to talkies happening, that is, movies with sound, directors had to go about their work differently. Capra, with his engineering education, was one of the very few directors who easily grasped what was going on with the new sound recording equipment and so was ahead of his peers in directing for Talkies. Success came quickly for him. His first mega-hit was It Happened One Night in 1934. It was actually the first film to nab all of the top five Oscars, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Adapted Screenplay. He directed one more film in 1934, Broadway Bill, but with the rapid rise of success, he had a bit of a crisis of faith.
0: He was prompted by something someone said to him as his star was rising and he was beginning to take himself too seriously. No one's quite certain who it was who said it, but the person said to him, The talents you have, Mr. Capra, are not your own, not self-acquired. God gave you those talents. They are his gifts to you to use for his purpose. And when you don't use the gifts God blessed you with, you are an offense to God and to humanity.
1: Those words struck Capra and changed everything for him, not just his future film project. He even began to turn back to his Catholic faith.
0: Well, that part took many years, and it was helped along by his wife, Lucille. Right.
1: But this experience and the soul-searching it prompted led to a series of four great films over the next six years. All of them are nominated for Academy Awards. Mr. Deeds Goes to Town in 1936, Lost Horizon in 1937, You Can't Take It With You in 1938, and the classic Mr. Smith Goes to Washington in 1939. He said of his new focus in filmmaking, my films must let every man, woman, and child know that God loves them, that I love them, and that peace and salvation will become a reality only when they all learn to love each other. And he set out to do just that. The first of the films he made after this mini-conversion was Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. It features a simple and good-natured man who is abused and mistreated by everyone around him people whom he has reason to trust, but who betray him. It is only by remaining a good and decent man that Deeds is able to overcome evil.
0: Capra said that doing Mr. Deeds gave him, quote, a golden opportunity to dramatize, love thy neighbor as thyself, Christ's spiritual law that can be the most powerful sustaining force in anyone's life.
1: The author Graham Greene reviewed the film and identified Capra's formula as The theme of goodness and simplicity manhandled in a deeply selfish and brutal world. That theme would carry through subsequent films. You Can't Take It With You, based on the play of the same name, is about an eccentric and very happy family that doesn't worry about living sensibly in the ways the world thinks of living sensibly, and their clash with the wealthy and sensible, but miserable, family of their daughter's fiance.
0: Again, simplicity, goodness, and detachment from material goods win out over worldly success.
1: Mr. Smith goes to Washington, sees a simple man who believes in the goodness and integrity of everyone he's going to work with in Washington get chewed up and spat out by the machinations of power brokers in government. In the end, his fundamental goodness awakens the conscience of some of those around him. Actor Richard Griffiths characterized Capra's typical hero as a messianic innocent, someone who would be initially defeated by his own lack of experience and knowledge, but whose integrity and courage would see him outlast his foes and inspire others to goodness.
0: In 1940, Capra himself told the New Yorker magazine, quote, it sounds sappy, but the underlying idea of my movies is the Sermon on the Mount, a plus value of some kind along with entertainment.
1: When the U.S. entered World War II, Capra voluntarily enlisted in the Army, though he was in his 40s. He was tasked by General George Marshall with making the Why We Fight series of films used by the Army to help soldiers better understand the reasons for American involvement in the war. He later regarded the Why We Fight films to be the most important thing he ever did. The first of them, Prelude to War, actually won the Academy Award for Best Documentary. He went back to Hollywood after the war where he and two other directors started their own production company, Liberty Films, and the first film Liberty produced was... It's a Wonderful Life.
0: The thing about this film I just love is how deeply and widely Catholic it is.
1: Truly. George Bailey has dreams and ambitions, but he also has a sacrificial nature. He is quick, if not eager, to put others' needs ahead of his own dreams. He saves his brother from drowning and loses hearing in one ear. He gives loans to people who desperately need the money, but who, to outward appearances, are not deserving of help. He gives up his dreams of traveling to carry on his father's work of helping the less fortunate. For his efforts and sacrifice, he faces ruin. The villain, on the other hand, is a miserly, miserable, materialist, greedy man who will not help anyone and who will not be moved with compassion. Bailey, in a moment of despair while contemplating suicide, is given the opportunity to see, really to see, what the road would have been like for all of those people whose lives he touched if he had never been born. The experience changes him and gives him the strength to face the consequences, and his trouble inspires his friends and relations to come through and help him who had helped so many of them.
0: The reason he gets that opportunity is because of the people who are praying for him, and eventually his friends come through to help him in his time of need. The film is such an incredible depiction of the communion of saints, the cloud of witnesses, and the power of prayer.
1: Yeah. Capper said this film was the ultimate result of that admonition he'd gotten back in 1934, that if you're not really using the talents and gifts that God gave you, you are an offense to God and to humanity. Likewise, if you do use them, you have no idea how much good you really can and will do.
0: He said of It's a Wonderful Life that it was the greatest film he ever made. He said, It is a film to tell the weary, the disheartened, the disillusioned, the wino, the junkie, the prostitute, those behind prison walls, and those behind iron curtains, that no man is a failure. To show those born slow of foot or slow of mind, those oldest sisters condemned to spinsterhood, and those oldest sons condemned to unschooled toil, that each man's life touches so many others, and that if he isn't around, it would leave an awful hole. The theme continued, but his success waned and his output shrank.
1: It seemed the nineteen fifties and sixties, the era when Capricorn epithet was really used, were too cynical to appreciate and be moved by Capra's Catholic vision. The industry had changed and Capra took on that change in his nineteen seventy one autobiography, the name above the title. The book somewhat resurrected his career and renewed interest in his films. In it, he explained so much about his work and explained why he walked away from the film industry. In one tight passage he explained his disgust with where Hollywood had gone. Quote. The winds of change blew through the dream factories of make-believe, tore at its crinoline tatters. The hedonists, the homosexuals, the hemophiliac bleeding hearts, the god-haters, the quick-buck artists who substituted shock for talent, all cried, shake them, rattle them, God is dead, long live pleasure, nudity, yeah, white swapping, yeah, liberate the world from prudery, emancipate our films from morality, kill for thrill, shock, shock. To hell with the good in man, dredge up his evil. Shock, shock. He had many choice things to say about the degradation of Hollywood that, while accurate and colorful, are not appropriate for a family-friendly podcast.
0: Yes, and while Hollywood has mostly gone downhill from there, It's a Wonderful Life has enjoyed a renaissance.
1: Right. Starting in 1976, network television began to air It's a Wonderful Life every Christmas. The film has now been reevaluated and has been placed on many lists of the greatest films ever made. Now, what the experts, those who know better, said was no good, the people, the hoi polloi, have found themselves drawn to.
0: That's the way with beauty.
1: Right. Capper explained this in relation to his own Catholicism when he said he was a Catholic in spirit, one who firmly believes that the anti-moral, the intellectual bigots, and the mafias of ill will may destroy religion, but they will never conquer the cross. And Capper lived this message in his later decades. In 1972, he became a Knight of Malta under the sponsorship of fellow Catholic director, John Ford. And for the last 13 years of his life, he served as an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion.
0: Capra lived to be 94 years old, dying in 1991 of a series of strokes. But he left behind a body of work that speaks to eternal truths and emphasizes the power of goodness, two themes so sorely needed. Or, as he described his own filmmaking, man needed dramatizations of the truth that man is essentially good, a living atom of divinity, that compassion for others, friend or foe, is the noblest of all virtues. Films must be made to say these things, to counteract the violence and the meanness, to buy time, to demobilize the hatreds, a message we could all use a little more. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please be sure to give us a rating and a review. To learn more about today's topic, to find previous episodes, and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com/slash history. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on social media at facebook.com/slash American Catholic History or follow Starquest on Twitter at SQPN. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow.
1: And I'm Tom Crow.
0: Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on Starquest.
2: This is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of SQPN, with a special message. The StarQuest Network is fulfilling its mission to explore the intersection of faith and pop culture, and in the past year we've reached stunning new heights. Our programs are reaching broad new audiences with a message that helps us discern good entertainment make sense of the world, and share the gospel with others. We continue to launch new shows and bring back great shows. We just relaunched Secrets of Star Wars, which comes at the perfect moment to capture the excitement over the new show, The Mandalorian, and the climax of the new Star Wars movies. The support of our audience is vital to this work and has helped us grow closer to meeting our financial obligations. For that, we are very grateful. But we still need to close the gap. Every new gift extends our deadline, but until we eliminate our deficits, the future of Star StarQuest, and your favorite show's remain in question. This is why it's crucial we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you're already a supporter of StarQuest, we are very grateful, and we ask you to prayerfully consider increasing your support at this time. If you are not yet a supporter, please become one now. We urgently need your help, and every gift counts. Could you give $15 or even just $10 per month? That lets us provide more than 40 hours of professionally produced shows with compelling content. We have special thank you gifts for donors at several giving levels. If you are a business owner or just want to provide a leadership level of support, we now have a special giving level for sponsors, like in public broadcasting. For $500 per month, you or your business can sponsor one of the shows on our network. Listeners will hear a message in every episode thanking you for your sponsorship and giving your website. We'll also have your name and link on the SQPN webpage and in the show notes of every episode during your sponsorship. Whatever level of support you can offer, whether large or small, please show your support for SQPN this Christmas, and remember that your gifts are tax-deductible. Just go to sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. And may God bless you and yours as we approach the celebration of our Lord's birth.